0: What's up everybody, my name is Hassan Bayan. I am the farmyard and Main Valley area manager here at the Maryland Zoo. Hello,
1: I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw Safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Raw Safari podcast. All right, y'all, so we are now well into the beginning of season four, and, uh, We started off with a couple of really big names and some really interesting and different episodes, but at its core, the Safari podcast is all about sharing the incredible, passionate people that work at zoos and aquariums who might not have their names out there in the world, but who are absolutely amazing people. And uh, today we are returning to those roots with one of the most inspiring Keeper interviews I have ever shared with y'all. My guest today is the barnyard manager of the Maryland Zoo. And um, I I gotta be honest with y'all. So when I reached out and got in touch with uh, the PR people at the Maryland Zoo, specifically Mike, who is an absolutely incredible guy, and just also happens to be a drummer, and uh, gave me a really amazing experience. Um, so thank you, sir. Um, I, I I was a little shocked when you know whenever I talk to these people, there's always this this moment of saying like, hey, so who do you think I should talk to? And they're like, who do you want to talk to? And one thing that I like to do is I like to say to people who really are connected to their staffs, you know, who do you think would be great on this podcast? Now, the Maryland Zoo has some incredible animals. They have an absolutely wonderful elephant section. They have a state-of-the-art penguin area that also features pelicans. I I, I mean, they had, oh my goodness, gorillas, right? I mean, there was the whole thing early in the pandemic with Maisie, which you are going to hear a little bit more about here. Um, you know, there's there were just all these different things that I thought I was going to get told, hey, you could talk to somebody here. And instead, Mike was like, I've got the perfect person for you. And then mentioned the barnyard. And look, I love goats. Goats are great. We talk a lot about goats in this episode. But I was really taken aback for a second. But then I thought to myself, well, if this dude is the best dude to represent the Maryland Zoo on this podcast for their first time on here, he must really be something special. And he is. This is an absolutely awesome story about an alternative way to get into zookeeping and um about what makes zoos so amazing at a very personal level. I I love this episode so much, and I can't wait to share this interview with you. So uh, real quick, before we get to that, uh, please make sure you've hit subscribe. Please make sure that you uh, you know are are following along on the socials at Rossafari or at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. And um, if you have the chance to leave a rating or review, it helps other people find the podcast and hear the incredible interviews that I do, like the one you're about to hear. So, uh, without further ado, let's get to that one.
0: basically what I do is all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right. Well, we will talk about that. Um, So how long have you been at the zoo?
0: So I've been here at the zoo for uh almost a year now, but I've been working professionally with animals for about 10 and every day is a good day at the zoo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'm confused how you've been working with animals professionally for 10 years when you don't look like you're old enough to be doing that, but uh, (laughs) maybe just being with the animals keeps you young. I don't know. But so tell me about your history. How did you like, did you know that you wanted to work with animals when you were like young?
0: Absolutely. So one thing about me, uh, my grandma used to tell this really hilarious story about how I was knee high to a grasshopper and I came in a room and I basically said, hey, my mom, did you know that bats and dolphins can see what they're hearing using echolocation? Now, obviously, this was just something that I parroted from a TV show I was watching but it was so impactful to me that I had to tell the most important person in my life at the time, you know, hey, there is this cool thing. Did you know about this? And so I say that to say I've been passionate about nature before I even knew what passion was or before I could even really articulate that. But for me, it wasn't until I was able to get an education position uh, working at a safari park in Jersey that I really was able to find out like, hey this is for me in every way,
1: shape, and form. <laughs> that's awesome. Did you uh, did you go to school for it, or how did you get into that first gig? That's uh, always the question.
0: Excellent question. So I graduated from the streets with no diploma. All right. But what I did was, was uh, I went to Six Flags Great Adventure in Jersey for a security job initially, but they said, hey, uh, you have to choose three different jobs. And so I was like, well, my end game is to work with animals and safari is right there. So obviously I'm checking the safari box. They brought me back for an interview that same day. And within about five minutes of my interview, they said, yeah, we're definitely going to hire you. Uh, they, even though I was grossly underqualified, what they did like was, I was very outgoing. And mm-hmm. that is something that I've always just been. And uh, they also liked the fact that I was so willing to learn and just had a passion for nature. And so they brought me onto the team and were just like, hey, we'll just train you how to do it. But you have the stuff that we can't train.
1: You know, it's actually funny you said that. I can't really say where or how, but I literally was just approached and kind of pseudo offered a job. It was implied that I could have a job, uh, working with animals in a position that I have no qualifications for, but same thing. I'm good. I have the personality. I'm good at explaining things. I understand basic animal stuff. We, we can teach you husbandry. We can teach you basic training. Like, so I, I do think that is a thing that I think, especially as conservation education becomes a more important part of keeping and, and other jobs, I think, yeah, the personalities are important. You can, you can't learn that part nearly as easily as you can learn, you know, all right, cool. I, I need to give them food twice a day. Got it. You know,
0: right. And for me, you know, I have a very just, optimistic disposition. And so because I've always wanted to work with nature, uh, and just in and around and if it was natural, it was for me. Right. Uh, but I did hit a ceiling, you know, your personality and talent only really gets you so far. What really gets you to the next level to where you're able to have like full-time employment, I'd say, uh, is you have to have the experience. Uh, that just can't be underwritten. And so what I did was to be able to get more experience, uh, I pinched my little pennies together from working four jobs, 9 a.m. to 3 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday and Saturday, literally not sleeping, working uh, more than 12-hour days, and then Sunday I'd get a lot of sleep. But, uh <laughs> I was able to pinch those pennies together, and then I was able to get uh, afford a trip over to Africa, where I was able to study leopards in Hawangi National Park along with a research team, and also worked at a, an animal orphanage that I had learned about through some of my connections in AZA and so because of that, I was able to get like a lot of experience really quickly. Uh, but it was interesting working so hard to raise like the amount that was needed to be able to take part. Uh, so that I could work my butt off in Africa. Like, when I was there, I didn't even go on a safari. It was all about the work. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. That's really
1: cool that you did that, though. Props to you. That's uh, very cool, yeah. So how long were you over in Africa?
0: Uh, I worked there for a little over four months.
1: Sheesh, that's, that's serious. Yeah. That's real. That's very cool. And um, what did you take away from it?
0: I'd say my greatest takeaway was that there's a lot of nuance in conservation that uh, what you see on TV, uh, they have to cut things down really quick and really small. So you don't really get all the particulars. I remember one thing that was really impactful for me was actually talking to uh, someone who was a poacher at one point in their life and them saying, hey, uh, I didn't make a whole lot of money doing that. But it was more than I could make farming. And when you live around these large animals and they're in your backyard, uh, it's a little bit different than looking at them from oceans and oceans away. Uh, but one of the biggest takeaways from my conversation with them was that these are people and oftentimes these are people who are uh, downtrodden and don't really have a whole lot of options and that what we should really be looking towards in a lot of those conservation initiatives uh, involving poaching is how we can uh, work with the communities and de-incentivize the poaching as opposed to just saying, hey, poaching's bad and you shouldn't do it. Meanwhile, I'm hungry. No, absolutely. Um, I volunteer
1: for Red Panda Network. Well, that's and, cool. Yeah, it's a great organization and that's a big thing with them. They are focused on the community. And when I first found them through my love of Red Pandas, um, they were doing this thing where they were replacing stoves in homesteads mm-hmm. in rural Nepal. And I got to tell you, my very uneducated, unaware brain was like, that is money that could go to pandas. Right. But what I quickly realized was that, and I mean, they explained it. This is how I realized it. They did a great job communicating it was that, um, you know, there were really bad stoves in the area that were causing forest fires and were wiping out acres of red panda habitat. And by giving these people new stoves, they were preventing that. They were also saying, you know, hey, here are these stoves from red panda network. Did you know that the red pandas that you Mm -hmm. see around here Mm -hmm. are really important? Here's how it ties into ecotourism. Here's how it ties – and making it about them. And suddenly I thought it was a beautiful thing. When at first I was literally like, we're buying stoves for people. That's (laughs) That that's <laughs> conservation, okay. Yeah. You know, so I totally get what you're saying, and I do think that is often not communicated well. I think it's mm-hmm. really cool, not only that you're sharing that, but that you you got to experience it firsthand yeah. and hear about it. That's it was
0: pretty incredible. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's uh, I guess there's no conservation when you're hungry. Really. Yeah. I
0: mean you know, you know, it all goes back to those hierarchy of needs. And then from Africa, I came back because I've worked at a lot of different places. And (laughs) one thing that I tell people about zookeeping is like, you better lace up your boots and be ready to travel because, you know, you have to go where the wild animals are. Mm -hmm. And so from Africa, I came back to the States and uh, my grandmother, her health was actually failing. And so what I did was I moved in with her and I'm from Philly. And so I worked at my home zoo, which was so incredible, the Philly Zoo, nice. which I have nothing but amazing things to say about there. A partner of uh, AZA as well, so they're really closely connected to the Maryland Zoo, so sometimes I get to talk to them on a professional basis again, which is cool, uh, and I worked in education at the Philly Zoo, and then from the Philly Zoo, I interned at White Oak Conservation in Florida. Uh, and that was around the pandemic, once the pandemic started. And in between going from Philly over to White Oak, I wasn't sure if I wanted to also work with marine mammals at the time or just in marine animals at all. Uh, and so I pinched my pennies together again when I was working at the Philly Zoo and I, uh, got on a research boat. and and on the Great Barrier Reef and so I was able to like right after that huge bleaching event in 2019 I was able to go over to the Great Barrier Reef and basically just lived on the reef for a month (laughs) like we would go back to port every few days and then come back out but it was diving three times a day to survey the reef that's amazing yeah that was absolutely incredible and it was so cool to see that uh the Passions of Paradise crew Uh, Even after I left and once the pandemic did hit, they were doing a lot of coral planting and they were like taking plastic off of the reef, which was, you know, some of those things are just really close and near and dear to my heart. Because once again, you know, I live, the reason why I feel like I'm on earth is for the preservation and proliferation of the natural world. And I want to share that love of nature with people and to actively Save these places. And so to actually be able to go to these places that I've seen on TV and dreamed about since I was a kid and actually clean them and actually work to help preserve them was like the actualization of like years and years of just dreams. That's,
1: yeah, that's absolutely
0: incredible. That's very cool.
1: Um, And so, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I've done some episodes about coral stuff and, and coral gene banking and all that stuff. Wildly important. But just like I asked you with Africa, what did you take away from your time in Australia?
0: Once again, that conservation, these nuance. And so one of the biggest things that they struggled with was the idea that the Great Barrier Reef was dead. And they were like, they hated when people say that. Because when you say that, what happens is people believe it. And then they think, well, if it's dead, we should go in there and take as much as we can from it while it's still here. We should extract as many different toys and trinkets from it. We should fish it until there's no more fish left because it's going away anyway. And so what it does is it stops people from caring about it. Uh, the Great Barrier Reef is about the same size as Germany. It's massive.
1: Whoa! Okay. Absolutely
0: <laughs> massive. And so when you have something that's that huge, it has a level of resiliency to it. And so climate change, the way I talk about it—is like it's like a gun that has fired at the reef three or four times now. But the cool weather that comes after the summertime, it allows the reef to naturally heal itself. And so we should be working on conserving the reef, and we should be working on these programs to limit climate change, but we shouldn't be talking about these things as if they're final and as if they've already happened. Maybe that's the optimism in me, but I don't feel like anything is final until it already is. Right.
1: No, that makes sense. And honestly, I mean, if you don't have optimism when you're fighting climate change and when you're seeing what happens in this world, you are screwed. <laughs> <Yeah, absolutely. laughs> I'm glad that you have that because absolutely. I, that is interesting though. Um, I, I think the nuance of communication is very important and uh, something I've had to learn to be careful with Doing a podcast, you know, mm. I, I used to be much more, uh, well, much less careful and would, would do some broad generalizations like, ah, the Great Barrier Reef is dying, you know, without thinking because that that sounds like an important message to me. Mm-hmm. If I hear that the Great Barrier Reef is dying, what it inspires in me is to do things to help. Right. But like you said, there are other people who will be like, oh, cool let's move on. Like, exactly. all right. And that's really, that's important to understand. Um, yeah. Yep. I appreciate that. Very cool. So, and then that brought you to, um, uh, so after Maryland, that, right. Yep. Or, so I yeah. went
0: to white Oak and then from white Oak, I came up to Maryland, uh, because my brother actually lived here. And so I was, you know, this is in the pandemic. And so a lot of places weren't hiring. Mm-hmm. And so I had some connections over here. And one thing that I will tell people is that this, Field is small, it's very small. (laughs) Everybody knows everybody. Uh, so because of that, I was able to leverage some of my connections to be able to get a relief keeper position here at the Maryland Zoo, which absolutely changed my life.
1: Nice, how so?
0: So, before I got here, I heard a lot of the stories that people tell about chimps, especially are that they're these mean animals, hyper aggressive. Or if you listen to a Joe Rogan, it's like they kill lions and that's basically the end of the conversation right (laughs) like they talk about them as if they're these incredibly aggressive animals all the time and while some of those stories do have some basis in truth what a lot of people sort of obfuscate or don't really dive deeper into are some of these really complex uh some of the more complexities of you know just the troop dynamics and all the different emotions that they have and so when I first came here, I was like, man, I never want to work with primates. But <laughs> primate manager, Pam, she uh basically told me, was like, hey, I know you've heard the stories. Just give it a try. And I was like, well, if a manager tells you to give something to try, you give it a try. And during that time, I learned so much about not just working with animals, but also a lot about myself and what, I'm willing to do in certain situations. Uh, once again, this is in at the height of the pandemic. So everybody's masked up and, uh, there's a lot of, you know, fear around because these animals, whether we like it or not, they feel like coworkers sometimes, like they feel like part of your family a lot of the times. And so you're also not worried about just your family catching COVID. You're worried about your animals catching COVID too. And so during that time, everybody was, you know, just, Really worried and there was just a lot of anxiety. And, uh, it was really cool when I got there because I'm like this bundle of energy and <laughs> I'm super optimistic and I'm just happy to be there. And we also got in, uh, one of our, uh, a baby chimp named Maisie. Yes. And Maisie absolutely changed my life in many different ways because she's a baby chimp who's orphaned by her mother who's being introduced into our chimp society. And so she requires 24 seven, 365. Doesn't care if it's a holiday, birthday, snow day, whatever. Somebody needs to be here with me and I need some bottles. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, because I was, a relief keeper who got stationed in that area a lot, eventually I got roped into being able to be one of her caretakers. And that was just when I learned like, hey, not only are chimps like all of these uh, things that people say or some, not all of them, but some of these things that people say, they do have some of these, you know, tendencies, but they also are capable of all these other complex emotions and different uh, sorts of, it's hard to even put into words. And sometimes I do overdo it and people think chimps are on the verge of space technology <laughs> by the time I'm finished talking about them. But they are just really complex uh, individuals. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense to me. And I mean I think even moving away from chimps for just a second, we'll come back to that. But like I think that's true of most animals mm-hmm. i think even the most simplistic animals there's a lot more going on than we realize and um yeah it kind of it kind of bugs me when people are like oh i saw a sea turtle do this once, so sea turtles do this and it's like okay well i could tell you a lot of things that humans do too uh-huh. but doesn't mean you do them doesn't mean i do them you know exactly. um but yeah i can't oh man it's it, tell me what it was like with Maisie though because i mean that was that was such a huge story and it brought so many people so much joy at a time where they're wasn't a lot of that going Mm -hmm. on. Um, I followed that story, you know, religiously, like,
0: yeah, tell me what that was like. It was incredible. Uh, You know, here you are, like, you're working, but your job is to take care of this infant, right? So there's an aspect of it that's like, okay, I cannot mess up. You know what I mean? Like, this is a baby right here, you know? You're Solely responsible for the changing of the diapers you're responsible for all the bottles you're responsible for like if she does she feel cold does she feel hot is she having a good time why is she crying and so for me it was almost akin to I'm one of 10. I have uh, six brothers, three sisters, Whoa. so huge family.
1: Okay, so you grew up in a zoo is what you're saying?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like there's a lot of us. And for a lot of my younger siblings, like I changed their diapers. I helped them when they were crying. And I did all – and so it was like just a lot of connections were made between uh, the being able to feel like this individual requires so much from me and I cannot mess up. And so what it did for me was it it made it sort of opened my eyes to just how complex working with animals really can truly be.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really, really cool. Um, so I, I have to ask because I'm sure that and and I have my own opinions, but I'm sure that some of my listeners right now are are thinking this, which is okay. So, you've been to Africa. You've worked with amazing species over there. You've been to Australia. You've worked with amazing species over there. You worked at the Philadelphia Zoo, White Oak, the Maryland Zoo with chimps. And now you're the manager of the barnyard. You have goats and pigs. <laughs> How does that feel?
0: And and are you still finding like joy in a way to connect with them? Oh, absolutely. Uh it's funny to me cuz people really sleep on goats until you're around them. Right.
1: Goats are amazing. Goats are amazing. Goats are amazing. Yes.
0: <laughs> so anytime you come to the farm yard, you are guaranteed an interaction with not just the animals, but also with someone who takes care of the animals, right? So you are guaranteed an opportunity to be able to pick the brains of a zookeeper who are the rock stars of the zoo. Uh, so for me, To be able to help facilitate those human-animal interactions and to be able to—one thing that I think zoos really do better than a documentary can do, better than reading a book can do, better than a television show can do, is that they can really give you that bridge between the general public and the natural world with nuance. You can ask every question you want to ask. You can— Not only ask those questions, but here in the farmyard specifically, you can touch a goat. You can see what another living, breathing animal talk – up talks. You can (laughs) know exactly what they they, feel like. they They, talk. They talk in their own way. They (laughs) they do talk in their own way. You might hear some a little later on. But you can see exactly what they feel like. You can watch them roam around. You can – Ask whatever you'd like to do, and if it's somebody like me with you too, not only do you get to talk to him, you get to hear a lot from them because <laughs> I can't stop myself from talking about him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I love that you, you see it in that way. Cause so many people, I mean, even in the industry, so many people think about like, Oh, I want to work with the most exotic animals. And like, I have zookeepers that are, are friends and fans of the podcast that are like, I can't believe that you've gotten to handle, you know, red pandas when I'm stuck working with bentrons all the time or bentrons when I'm stuck working with red pandas <laughs> what whatever, you know? And I'm like, uh, Yeah, no, but, but it, it, it shouldn't be about like how exotic and rare the animal right. is. It's just. But they're cool animals. Um, and I have to tell you, so I was here uh, for Zoo Day with my wife, Zoe. And um, th- there's a video, if, if any of you listening haven't seen it uh, on my TikTok, um, there's a video of, of Zoe just sitting and being loved on by goats and it's, it's very adorable. Um, but um, beyond that, uh, the, the the staff – in the Goat Yard was incredible. Uh, they – I guess somebody there had heard about the podcast mm. and um, we started talking about it and – they really seemed to feel almost – I'm going to call it a need to lift me up and, and thank me and tell me like how how much they appreciate what I'm doing, sharing y'all's stories and everything. And um and then were asking me questions and like giving me suggestions. I mean literally the entire team was like reach out to our PR person. You need to talk to Mike. Like we will talk to him for you, whatever. Like it was so <laughs> it was just so beautiful and they were such – just wonderful people. That I was actually pulled away from the goats to talk to them for a while. Zoe was not. Zoe was with the goats (laughs) the entire time. I I do the networking thing a little bit more. But like it, it was really cool seeing how approachable the team was and how appreciative the team was. And by the way, this was right at the end of the day. Nice. So it had been all day that they were working, Oh yeah, you know, and then my stupid butt comes in and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and they were still 10 out of 10, great level of energy, great, just passion introduced us to all the goats were telling us about their personalities, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and that was very meaningful to me. It was a very amazing ending to not just an amazing day, but honestly, an amazing
0: conference. Well, thank you, you, you know? so much for sharing that. I have to credit. See, yeah, you're giving too many accolades to me because uh, I actually stole my technique for interpretation from one of my bosses. Her name is Jess Perantanu. She works over at the Odyssey Aquarium. So in between me over here uh, as a relief keeper, I actually worked at the Odyssey Aquarium as the education supervisor. And she is one of the greatest bosses I've ever had. She was one of the people who I credit with my ability to go out there and before I engage with the public to take that breath, put on a smile, and then walk out and say every day is a good day, you know? And uh, so she is a huge, huge, huge reason as to why uh, I feel as though we can all really dig deep and really make those meaningful connections. You know, one thing that she always told to me is that And one thing that I've always sort of felt was that everybody who comes to the zoo may not be able to afford to come to the zoo again, right? You might be engaging with a family who saved up their entire year, and this is the one family trip that they get to go on. You might be engaging with someone who just got out of the hospital, and they're just looking for a break and a relief from what they've gone through. You could be talking to somebody who just lost an important family member to them, and they're coming to their safe place, the zoo. And so for us, what I tried to always do and what she always taught me to do was to treat everybody as if they are the CEO. Treat everybody as if they mean something, because they do. We all do. And if you really care about conservation, you have to be able to connect these uh, really important initiatives to the general public. And outside of even that, a step further, is there are a lot of people who don't want to see zoos exist anymore. And so if we are to combat or to work with these people to sort of come to a different sort of compromising conclusion, uh, we have to be able to uh, articulate ourselves and our initiatives in a way that's fun, engaging, and is, involves the people. And you can't do that if when somebody comes in and they're like, ah, well, it's a goat, does goat stuff, it eats over here, it poops over there, I don't know, what you want from me, have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: really really love what you just said. All of that is so true. And it takes me back to, you know, some of my I mean, when I was going through a major upheaval in in my life, the Philadelphia Zoo was my refuge. Ugh. I went there some weeks every day.
0: That gives literally me so much every love. Day.
1: And that's actually when I fell in love with red pandas. You know, I know you've said you I, you know, I have episodes out a lot of my stuff focuses <laughs> on red pandas, right? A lot does. That's why I had seen red pandas before and I never connected with them. Like whatever, they were cool, they were cute, whatever. Um and then when I was was in this like tough time in my life, I went to the Philly Zoo, and there was there were three pandas there at the time, and it was just one of them. I don't know why. May Lin, this old lady,
0: yeah.
1: and we became besties. I don't know that she knows that, but we became besties, and um, that <laughs> changed everything for me. Yeah. That was what really made me fall in love with pandas, care more about conservation, mm-hmm. it, all of that stuff happened, you know. But but the reason I was going was just because I just needed to go. Like I needed to be there, yeah. and and Maylin May was my therapist. Yeah. May Maylin was my best friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, it, yeah, it's really imp- And if you would have seen me at the zoo, you would have never thought that I'm not showing my emotions. I'm firing off wisecracks. I'm talking on the phone <laughs> to my yeah. friends. You know, I'm, I looked like the healthiest, happiest, mm-hmm. emotionally sound person. And at the time, and I was going through good stuff and bad stuff, but just a huge upheaval. Mm-hmm. And and that zoo, you know, that was like the thing you know yeah. so it's it's interesting to uh to think about that
0: I relate so much to that you know uh I lost my father to a drunk driver in October
1: Oh god I'm sorry
0: It was easily one of the most tumultuous times in my life and even now I'm getting choked up even thinking about it but I hadn't smiled since he passed until I came back to work hmm. when I went And I was with uh, our goats, and I just sat in there petting the goats before we opened, and I was just talking to the goats, and I remembered uh, it was Zod. He went over, and he just uh, made a weird noise, and then he started like swinging his horns at one of the other goats, and I was like, Zod, what's going on? And then he walked over to me and let him, let me pet him. And Zod, you know, I love Zod. He's not a bad goat. He's a good goat. But sometimes he could be one of the less diplomatic of goats. <laughs> and uh, sometimes he could use his horns instead of his words, which, you know, I understand. Uh, and so for him to allow me to pet him, it it was just such a great feeling. And the manager team here was really in my corner And so it just, especially Pam and Ryan, you know, everybody really just came together to support me in every way. And so it was just such an amazing, warm feeling to know that the zoo really had not just my back as a manager, but my back as a person.
1: And you weren't here that long yet either. Mm -mm. Like you were saying, you haven't been here that long to begin with. Mm -mm. That's really beautiful like that's really cool to hear it's not like you were a. I mean you were obviously an important member of the community but you mm-hmm. weren't like established you weren't here for 20 years you weren't and right. they all came together for you that's Yeah, Yeah.
0: I'm getting choked up thinking about it, man. (laughs) These are my guys. This is
1: my crew. (laughs) I always say that zoo people are the best people. Yeah, absolutely, it's it's true. All right, well let's let's not make you cry. So let's pivot for a second. (laughs) You mentioned Zod. Tell me about some of the other more personable goats. Give me names. Give me personalities. Oh, I gotcha. (laughs)
0: Uh, So Zod is definitely one of the. Goats that you will recognize immediately because he is dominating the hay feeders, right? (laughs) But outside of Zod, I say another one of the more personal bull goats is probably going to be Java bean. Uh, I love Java bean. So one of my favorite goat facts is about how they discovered coffee. I am a registered coffee holic.
1: So am I. And I do not know this story. So you need to tell me this. Oh, I'm here for it.
0: So in Ethiopia, coffee grows wild. So the way the story goes. Uh, is that a herder, he was walking his goats around, and goats, you know, they don't eat everything, but they'll taste just about everything. <laughs> and so he saw that they tasted this strange red cherry, and after they did so, they would start pooping everywhere, and then they start bouncing off of the wall. So he was like, man, let me give this strange red cherry a try. <laughs> so he gave it a try, and lo and behold, he got the energetic boost of coffee. And in Ethiopia to this day, uh, traditionally, they actually drink their coffee with salt, milk, and butter. Uh, tried it, not personally my thing, but <laughs> it's like one of those things that I understand why other people like it. Sure. It's like really dark, salted chocolate. That's what it sort of reminded me of. Okay, like. all right. Yeah, so Java Bean is definitely one of my favorite goats. Uh, Maybelline, just because she's so cute. Uh, Hoover, he's our painting goat. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, so nice. Uh, some of the people call him uh, Hoover Casso or uh, <laughs> Vincent Van Goat. <laughs> Yep, he got a couple of (laughs) nicknames going, and he works with Brandon in a lot of his painting, and so him and Brandon, who's his primary trainer, they'll go, and uh, it was cool because they did it again for the first time after not doing it for a little while, and Hoover stepped right up like he was riding a bike and painted all over the canvas. It was really cool to see.
1: Oh, that's awesome. What kind of training do you do with
0: goats? Oh, I am so glad you asked that. <laughs> so operant conditioning training, which is what we do all over the zoo, but it's basically uh, what we want to do is ask the animal to do a behavior. If they perform the behavior correctly or if they do it the way that they were asked to do it, they get a yummy and delicious treat. And the case of the goats is ordinarily Cheerios, but sometimes they'll also get their grain, which they absolutely enjoy it's like goat candy (laughs) uh and they'll also uh get like sometimes some produce but the way that we train the goats is the same way that we train all the other animals here. And it's a way for us to make sure that they're not just physically fit so that their muscles are encouraged to work, but also mentally fit so that their brains are working. Uh, our behavioral team is incredible here. They work with all the different teams here and they're always running around and they give us a hand with working through a lot of the different trainings that we training sessions that we do here so that let's say you are in a block and uh, you're having issues with training a certain behavior and you're like, man, for some reason, we just can't get past this hurdle. It's good to have a second set of eyes come in and who are amazingly intelligent people like these guys blow my mind every time they talk. Uh, and they give you a second set of eyes to be able to work through some of those training sessions so that you can make sure that nobody's getting frustrated.
1: That's very cool. That's, uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, I love the idea of a goat painting. That's so good. <laughs> I have a whole wall of, it's like I was saying, it's all exotic stuff. You know, it's really cool birds that painted and uh, even a sea turtle, a uh, flipper nice. thing and all kinds of cool stuff. Oh, we're going to have to hook th- you up. I think I need a goat painting. That just oh, sounds we'll awesome. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So, um, what else do you have in the barnyard?
0: Uh, so, all throughout the farm, we have a bunch of different really cool animals. So, we have our miniature donkeys. We have our Cotswold sheep, our alpaca. And they just got sheared. So, I got to get some of those videos out to you. <laughs> yes. Because uh, it's always so cool to see them get sheared. Um we also have our coonie coonie pigs, yes. which are grazing pigs, and I love them. They are absolutely adorable. And pigs are so smart. They're able to solve complex problems at the level that's better than most dogs can. Uh, pigs get a bad rap, probably because they roll around in mud, but I think that that's endearing. Yeah. Uh, and the last animal we have are the longhorn cattle who you actually can only see from the train. So if you ever take the train ride, uh, the first animal that you'll actually see are those longhorn cattle who are Kit cat, and Ox. <laughs> Tongue twister.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, that's cool. That's good to know too because I don't tend to ride zoo trains because like a lot of zoos mm-hmm. just have them for kids. But then sometimes there are a whole other exhibit. So like yeah. the fact that I've never seen those animals now makes me want to ride the train. Oh,
0: please do. Yeah. Know.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, there are some places like uh, Brevard Zoo in Florida. Um, you literally get an entire different experience if you do the train, um, mm. including Let me write like that down. yeah, right, including like <laughs> free roaming zebra and stuff. Like it's really it's cool. cool. It's really cool. Yeah, um, awesome. So, uh, what's the goal? What's what's next? I mean, I'm sure you're enjoying being here, but you know, in the farmyard specifically. But what what's next for you?
0: I'd say. My dream, my goal, my passion has always been to be able to articulate complex conservation initiatives to the general public. So here at the Maryland Zoo, I'm being given a lot of different options to be able to exercise not just uh, my ability to manage My different teams, but also to be able to engage with the general public in a more public forum, like not just giving keeper chats or doing like some of the bigger events, but also I get to do some of the like really huge events like Brew at the Zoo. I also get to get in front of a television camera all the time. So for me, what I see sort of as the next step here at the zoo is to sort of work on being able to do just more of the same, if I'll be honest. Uh, That's great. Load my plate up. <laughs> I
1: love that. No, I love
0: that. That's cool. When you
1: find something, you know, that you, you love doing, yeah, keep doing it. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, And uh, so, you know, I'm curious about something. You're a manager. True, true. And, and all you talked about this whole podcast so far, and I mean, admittedly, that is the focus of the podcast, but is animal and nature and nature and animal and animal and nature, right? No doubt, no so doubt. So then you become a manager, what did you do to build your management skills and was there like a learning curve or did you find it was something that you fell into naturally because leadership is definitely a skill
0: steep learning curve shout out to jess again (laughs) Uh, i went over to over at the odyssey aquarium i kind of was like i'm going to fake it until i make it (laughs) Uh, and i was able to hone a lot of those skills from working day in and day out with jess but i say i have a natural inclination towards management, just because, you know, being a part of such a large family, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a middle child thing, but I've always sort of been in sort of leadership roles, like for my family, like with big holidays, I'm like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, (laughs) and I'll make sure everybody gets everything done. And so when we come together, uh, we don't have to worry about like, where's the food coming from because somebody's been assigned or, uh, where are the presents or the gifts coming from? Like somebody has been assigned. And so in being able to come to this back to the zoo, uh, and being able to manage the team that I had previously worked on, I had a lot of these different ideas, but the first thing that I wanted to do was to get to know the staff, uh, That's where I'd say the largest learning curve for me is because I never want to come into a place and like, everything you're doing is wrong. I'm going to change. Everything It's going to be, everything is going to be new. Uh, What I want to do is really get to know the people, get to know the area, get to know the runs a little bit more intimately. Like what are some of the things that go good? What are some of the things that we could work on a little bit better? And from underneath of the tutelage of some of the managers who have been here for a lot longer than I have, I have been able to sort of uh, really gain a lot of really critical experience from working alongside them. Uh, The teams here, the way the management team is set up is you never have to worry about being by yourself. Everybody has your back. I mean, not even just the manager team, but also the vet staff. Like They're very uh, open to explaining different things so that it's never like, decisions are being made in a vacuum like there's a lot of different uh points where everybody's able to talk to everybody and we all come to a compromise and some sort of solution together and so there are absolutely still challenges uh that's just in any job but i tell people it's like yeah but my challenges involve goats so my (laughs) challenges are better than yours (laughs) awesome
1: that's that's very cool one quick question that i had before i get to that um you keep mentioning odyssey aquarium yeah, you talking about out in Scottsdale. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. They've been on the pod. I love that facility. I know. I That's love so them. cool. <laughs> I just I wasn't sure if um if there was another one or yeah yeah, yeah. okay cool.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I Odyssey out Aquarium there. out there. Yeah, and it was hot. Oh man, it was hot. Arizona gets all the heat. I'll say seventy degree winters though are beautiful. But Odyssey Aquarium is just another one of those places that really changed my life, you know, from being – it was my first management job, and I got to learn what it's like to be on salary and to – you know, one thing that Jess always stressed to me that I was never good at and I'm still not good at is work-life balance. But when you love your job – you know, sometimes it's hard to step away, especially if you know, like, oh, we have a really big thing that's going on today. And so you always want to step in and then to be able to come to the Maryland Zoo and to take those skills that she was able to teach me and to also take those principles that she was able to teach me and to I love fish and I love underwater stuff. But land animals are where I'm at, especially hoofstock. That's where I, that's where I live. Uh, but to be able to take those principles and to apply them here. Has really given me a lot of, you know, joy and just outright happiness.
1: That's really cool. I love that. I love that it was at Odyssey because it's such a great place. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. You talk about work life balance because I struggle really <laughs> with that. And, um, what should passion-
0: people normally do? Yeah,
1: exactly. And actually, what finally made me start to figure out the balance a little bit more was, finding ways to be passionate about other things because grow, growing up, all I cared about was drumming. Like my mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. life, all I cared about was that and then making it my career and sustaining that career and all that stuff. And it wasn't until I really got into all of the animal stuff and also got some people in my life who I was passionate about in a way that I would never been before that I suddenly was like, oh, wait, I'm sometimes like almost allowing like toxic situations with like my art and my drumming and stuff to to persist and i'm 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 killing myself for this but really i need to be giving over here now and over here now um but i never i never figured out how to do it other than uh, by finding other passions so i'm Mm -hmm. it's still a thing that i struggle with i just luckily have found some other passions so i have a little more balance
0: oh you're lucky (laughs) i'm a one trick pony you know uh, you want to know anything about cars and music, I'm no good. But if you want to know how long elephants are pregnant for, I'm your guy. 22 months.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I know you're going to drop it. That's awesome. Um, Are there any uh, specific conservation organizations you'd like to give a shout out to?
0: Some of my favorite conservation organizations, definitely SandCob. We're really big partners with them here because we have a huge penguin colony. Uh, and they always need the extra support and the help uh GB Azac they are our local chapter of the Azac community shout out to them uh Amzap they are one of my favorite groups shout out to Craig, craig and Carolina so yeah those are uh, that's my family down nice, in DC nice yep uh, i love
1: craig so much yeah that's
0: my guy that's my guy <laughs> for real
1: We've tried to get him on the podcast so many times, and nobody can figure out who to talk to at the Smithsonian. It's not even that they won't let us; it's that even Craig doesn't know who to, who to talk, talk to. to. So we've talked maybe about doing it as an Amzap episode because okay, I did one okay. of those when the organization first started. Yeah. A couple other people. Oh, I saw it. Oh, okay, okay. okay. But yeah, but and and because I, I want him on so badly, and he lets me hang out with Ben Terong's there whenever yeah. I visit. Like uh, Hank and Lola, I love him. I love that place. And we have talked to so many people on the PR team. And they're all like, we don't really know who would sign off on this specific, like a yeah. zoo podcast is very much its own See, thing.
0: it's so and new. I, yeah. I know. And I'm
1: like, I just, someone let me talk to Craig. <laughs>
0: yeah, Craig is really cool. Uh, where else? Uh, Cheetah Conservation Fund. That's always a big one. Yes. Um, Giraffe Conservation Fund. They're another big one. But really, I say any, the best thing that you can do is to come to the Maryland Zoo yourself. I mean, come here and just take a breath. Take a look around. Go and see the goats. See the animals. Talk to the staff members. Uh, One thing that you don't really know until you just do it is an animal might touch your heart that you otherwise didn't even look at twice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for people who are listening who aren't in the, the Maryland area, and especially for people who are out in the West and, and Midwest and stuff where states are big, like really, really big. <laughs> um, it's worth mentioning that the Maryland Zoo is a great place to actually make a journey to, to you can make a vacation and you can hit within like, you know, rent a car and within like two hours of driving, you can hit the Maryland Zoo. Mm-hmm. The National Aquarium is here in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Brandywine Zoo is about an hour away mm-hmm. in in Delaware. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Philly Zoo is about two hours away from here. Adventure Aquarium in Camden is two hours away from here. Mm-hmm. Elmwood Park Zoo, you're maybe talking two hours and 20 minutes now. These are all accredited facilities. You can hit seven just off the head and then going in the opposite direction. Cause I'm just going East, but you know, then we're, we're close to the national zoo as well. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. there are a solid eight facilities. You can make an entire vacation out of just coming to this area yep. and hitting up all those facilities, um, which is not something that you can do when you're in some of the larger States.
0: I'm totally not <laughs> biased, but Maryland should be your first stop.
1: <laughs> first and last come twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. And then it is time. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say oh no.
0: It's time for the Ron Safari poop story. Alright. So, uh I'd say we were talking about this a little bit earlier, so I rank my poop stories. Poop story. So Uh, I'd say my first one would be dealing with elephant poop just because it's so massive. Uh, I was filming something uh, back when I worked at my first job, and it was actually about elephant poop. And so I didn't know I was supposed to wear gloves. So I actually picked up an entire elephant dookie. (laughs) Cracked it open and talked about how elephants only process about 50% of what they eat. And everybody is just looking at me, horrified. And I'm like, did I tell the wrong fact? You know, I'm new, wet behind the ears. Didn't know what was going on. So, yeah, I think that video still exists on the interweb somewhere. So, you could probably find that. But, uh, yeah, I I picked up a piece of elephant poop all <laughs> without gloves. My my mom will probably hate the fact that I have mentioned that fact. (laughs) That's amazing.
1: Holy cow. Okay, cool. Well, that's great. Um, (laughs) I don't know why I hear these like every episode, but that one hit me hard. That's really, really funny. Yeah. I think especially just because you're so knowledgeable and it just never crossed your mind to,
0: yeah, okay. Yeah, I just went. I just wanted to go for the gold, you know? (laughs) I was like, man, the gloves will make the shot look bad. I don't know. I was young.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. And thank you for everything that you do. This podcast is truly important. You are giving zookeepers a huge voice, and I really don't think that can be overlooked.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. Every day is a good day at the zoo and every Tuesday and Friday are good days at the Safari podcast. I hope you all enjoyed that one as much as I did. I'd like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons, Lara Shank and Steven Williamson. And I would like to remind you all that you can support the pod for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Safari. We'll be back here on Friday for another episode of Safari Zoo News, and we've got some conservation tales episodes coming up soon. So uh, lots of content coming your way. But uh, before we get to that, it is my duty to remind you all that the word credits backwards is steider the rossafari podcast is produced hosted and engineered by john rossi editing and fact checking by john and dr zoe rossi our theme song is sevens by nathan burke performed by nathan and john interrupting john theme and additional voices by taylor isaac gray you can reach john directly on instagram and facebook at rossafari or by email at Rossafaripod at gmail.com rossafari is part of the daydreamer media network Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.